Good morning. My name is Tim. Uh, I'm, I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, I, I find that I say on most, most mornings, it's really good to be with you, and, and I uh, especially mean that this morning um, because I've... Um, I, yeah, thank you. I especially mean that this morning. I've, I've been gone for the last two weeks uh, against my will, uh, but with doctor's orders. And so, um, yeah, I've, I've missed being here. It's so good to be back. I, uh, uh, I ruptured a spleen, my spleen. And uh, um, I'm not sure how I did it or how that happened, uh, but it did. And that's, that's not a good thing. That's a bad thing. And it's super, super painful. So just take my word for it. Don't, don't try to figure that one out or experience that yourself. Um, I was in the emergency room, uh, I think two, two and a half weeks ago or so it was, and uh, they fixed it, I think, uh, or so far, and uh, I was not allowed to move too much for a little while and uh, feel a lot better now. And I, I just want to say, again, I was required to make a video last week if you were here and saw that, um, and I said it on the video, but I just want to say it again in person. I just so... Uh, I'm so grateful and so thankful for um, the many of you who who prayed and sent texts and emailed and cards and uh, and all that. Um, both both me and Abby and our family have have just felt so loved and valued by that. Uh, and it, that that part of it was really really great. Um, so I just want to say thanks again. We have this uh, we have this stack in our kitchen of uh, uh, dishes and bowls and a, a, a wide range of. Uh, uh, plasticware to really, really nice and to perhaps uh, disposable. And it's all kind of stacked up in the corner of our kitchen. Uh, and that to us is this very clear picture, this clear representation of love um, that so many of you brought meals for us for, I don't know, a week, 10 days or so. And uh, it's all, all the stuff that you brought it in is all stacked up there. And we look at that and just go, I, I can't believe that that we're loved like this and that you, so many of you were just in a moment's notice bring, bring food and, and it was all good too. That was the other thing. It was just, it was just delicious. And, um, it, it really, it seems, it might seem like a simple thing, but it, it so helped, uh, uh, us as a family kind of navigate the last couple weeks. And so I, I just, again, just want to say thanks. We felt so loved and spoiled. Um, as I look at that stack in our kitchen, um, I, I realize what it means to be a part of it a church family uh, and a community, uh, and to know that that when when somebody's hurting, that there's so many other people that are there, ready and willing to jump up and to help and to serve and to love in that way, uh, and that the reality is is that that some of us here right now might not feel like we have that, um, and I just want to let you know that that uh, this is that kind of place and that kind of community. Uh, and if you feel like, oh, I I don't know who that would be in my life if I went down with some kind of illness or medical emergency. I don't know who that would be. Um, this is a good place to find that and to get connected and to find community and have a sense of family. Uh, there are so many people here um, that do that at the ready and just automatically. And so if you're just finding your way in, or maybe you're just kind of passing through, or you're a guest this morning and you're like, I, if that happened to me, I don't, I don't know who that would be. Um, there's people here that, that want to and are ready to be that for you. Um, and so you're, you're in a good place. Um, so it's great to be back. Thank you again so much. Um, I, uh, 
one of the things that we do when we gather like this is to take an offering. And so we're going we're gonna to do that now. We've got some volunteers that are going to come and pass baskets. A way for us to acknowledge that, that our God provides for us and takes care of us in so many different ways. And one of the ways that we return uh, our trust to him is, is even through giving our finances back to him. And so we regularly give a portion of it back as an offering. And we seek to do that as a, as a church so that we're partnering with what God's doing in our church and in our world. Uh, it's something that we do personally to say, God, you're, you're, the, you're the ruler and the provider in my life. And so we give back to him. Um, and we want to do that generously and we want to do it cheerfully. And so, Mosaic, it's time to give. As those baskets are going around, I want to uh, I want to give you an update on something, and then I want to ask you to pray for something. I got I got two things for you. Um, uh, one is a, a just an update. Uh, we, in a few weeks, on November twenty fourth, we have a, a very special Sunday uh, that happens every year, and it's the Sunday prior to Thanksgiving. And on that Sunday, we call it our th- our Thanksgiving celebration, and we do a couple things unique on on this Sunday, which again, November 24th. Um, one, we're going to celebrate baptisms. And so there's, there's folks within our, our, our church family who are ready to take that next step of baptism. Um, if you're interested in it, there's some uh, info meetings coming up. Uh, it's in print in front of you or on the website, or uh, you can ask somebody, but, uh, to, we just get to celebrate that. It's a great part of what we do on that Sunday is to celebrate people following Jesus and getting baptized. Uh, the other thing, we do a food offering um, and for those in need in our city. And so we try to pack our stage with food that we donate. Um, and so there's going to be more information on how you can participate in that as well. We're adding another little wrinkle this year. Uh, we're making a change. Uh, we have had um, our gatherings for, I don't know, probably the last three or four years have been 9 and 11. And we're changing the 9 o'clock from 9 to 9.15 on that Sunday, November 24th. And I want to tell you why we're doing that. Right now, we, we have about a 45-minute gap between our, the time our first gathering ends and our second gathering starts, and that's great. That's a long time. Some people use it to hang out and talk. It's, it's really long, though, and so we want to we pinch that just a little bit by 15 minutes um, because there are so many of us that serve in one gathering and then would like to attend another one, and that time in between makes that uniquely hard uh, just because it's, it's so long, and so we want to squeeze that time together just a little bit and make it easier for those of us that serve in one gathering so that we can can attend another one, whether that's the first or the second or vice, vice versa. And so that change is happening um, on, on November 24th. So from 9 to, to 9.15, uh, nothing earth shattering, but we think it'll, it will help. Um, and maybe that's actually been something that's preventing you from, from serving as a, that time in there it just feels too long and that kind of thing. So that change is coming. Here's the thing I want to invite you to pray for. Um, being a church in and the urban core of, of Portland is one of the things that God's called us to, right where he's planted us, right where um, we've been for what, that 16 years now. Um, it's a great part of who we are as a church and, and the calling that God's given to us. One of the challenges of that, uh, as you know, in our city is parking is at a premium. Um, we have, uh, as a part of our property that we own, uh, an entire, I think it is 29 parking places. 29. What we have found is that it takes more than 29 cars to get us all here on Sunday morning. And so that's not big enough. And we like to keep that open as much as possible for folks that are coming in and finding Mosaic for the first time. Um, and so for a, a little while now, we've had to park uh, on, in front of our neighbor's homes around here and down a few blocks and walk and that kind of thing. Um, and so we do that pretty well. Um, but what would help is if we had more parking available. And for a long time, we did. Uh, there's a giant parking lot just 
just on the other side of this wall beyond our parking lot um, that doesn't belong to us, but that we were able to use for a lot of years, uh, and we lost it about a year ago. Uh, and we just found out in the last couple of weeks that uh, new ownership has happened, and we've got a new opportunity to talk with somebody and hopefully get use of that parking lot back. And so I want to invite you to pray uh, with me over the next couple of weeks that, that God would would give us that parking lot back. It would, it would make it a whole lot easier for parking and for volunteers that are coming early and all that kind of thing. Uh, and so would you pray with me over the next couple of weeks that God would give us favor with the decision maker over that, that parking lot and that we would get use of that back. That would really, really help uh, with our gatherings on, on Sunday morning. And so uh, we'll keep you updated and, and posted as we find out more information, but we're in conversation now uh, and we hope to hear a decision in the next couple of weeks. So please be praying for that, uh, especially this, this next Next week, um, I uh, I've been I've been gone for a couple weeks, and uh, and Adam has has filled in teaching and, and and picked up an extra Sunday at least, and that that that's been great. Um, and because he wasn't teaching this this morning, um, he he ran a half marathon yesterday, and I got a hold of this. <laughs> just just take it in, just just let that sit. That is Adam Harvey, uh, one of our pastors, and that is a mustache and an outfit. It was a 1980s themed thing, and that happened. That happened. So, so Adam, <laughs> that actually hurt a little bit. I, sh- I can't laugh yet. That's dang it. That's the worst part of rupturing your spleen. It hurts to laugh. I don't, I don't understand that. So um, uh, prior to this Sunday, uh, I mean, we've had this scheduled. Uh, uh, Dr. Becky Josberger is part of our teaching team this year, is, has been scheduled to teach today uh, as well. And so um, that's just, that just is great timing and worked out well. But uh, Becky, can't wait to hear again what God is going to speak through you this morning. But would you join me in welcoming Becky as she comes up here and opens up Scripture? Possible. Hi. Good morning. <laughs> Sometimes I get up here and I think, I can't wait to hear what God's going to say. <laughs> I'll let that one just stand. Okay. Um, <clears throat> in the first service and in this service, we sang a song, and I was just blown away listening to everyone sing it as I was worshiping, and it reminded me of things uh, in childhood, and it created for me a great introduction for today. Uh, In the first service, I couldn't remember the words, so I took a picture. We sang, your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. Now let's pray this doesn't ring. I remember that feeling as a child uh, that was just part of my growing up experience, hearing all these great things of God and being in relationship with him pretty closely and and just wishing he'd like reveal some of his might and power to me. I just I was just a common prayer. And and sometimes I find that in the text now. And I get so bowled over by it that I'm almost glad that I get to see it through the text and not face to face because I'm not sure how I would handle it. It'd be overwhelming. So that part of me often feels somewhat satisfied when I read the text. I mean, I I still can't wait, but I feel like I get to see that. And what was neat for me was listening to everyone else singing that and hearing that same kind of 
longing. You could feel it in the room of, hey, God, I, we, I, we love you. We want you here. We want to see how great you are. And there are times and places and people in history where God has allowed them to see. And uh, I'm going to share one of those times with you this morning from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is one of those prophets where he got to step out of the ordinary and see the extraordinary, to see who God was. I, I remember another memory I have from when I was a kid. It's not a very clear one, and I thought I should probably fact check it, and then I decided, no, it can be real. It's okay. So there was a president or a presidential candidate. This is how my memories go. I was really little. I think it was Reagan. Might have been Bush. <laughs> I was really little. And he was speaking, campaigning. <laughs> I was really little uh, in New England near where we lived. And so my parents either got tickets or access or we just showed up. I was really little. I don't know. Um, starting to sound like a broken record. Um, and we went to this gathering, and I remember being way, way, way in the back. And I remember not really knowing who this guy was, but it was a big deal. This was the president. And, of course, we couldn't see. And I remember my dad would, he lifted me up on his shoulder so I could see. I'm not even really sure, and I didn't ask him. I'm not even sure if he could see. He's not that tall a guy. I don't know. But he lifted me up on, my shoulder, uh, up on his shoulders, and he was like, look, look, do you see him? Do you see him? And I saw him. I remember like the, the banners and they were red, white, and blue and, and it was him and he, it wasn't, yeah, I was far away, I was little. And then I had to get back down because I had a sister and she needed to turn and I don't know if my mom got a turn or he hoisted her, who knows, but we were like there to see the president or the presidential candidate or something and it was amazing. And I was so little, you can tell from all the details I don't have and yet I remember the awe of that moment. And I don't know if this is appropriate metaphor or not, but I'm hoping today that I can be the shoulders uh, that holds up this text from the prophet Isaiah where he gets to see and he can say, yeah, I, I see him and it's amazing. Um, the text that I'm going to be reading from in just a minute is Isaiah 7. But before we get there, I want to show you what's happening in Isaiah chapter 6. And this is one of the places where I can tell you with every degree of confidence that Isaiah has experienced the majesty of God. And it makes, it, it's, it makes his walk with God different because he seems to know the bigness of the God he serves. The text tells us that in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. I love how bluntly it just says that. In the year the king died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne. Like, you know, when you're parenting one day and you're like, do not hit your sister with a hammer while eating peanut butter. And you're like, what crazy things I never thought I would say. This is one of those crazy things I, I've never gotten to say. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet, and with two, they were flying, and they were calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. 
The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. This must have been absolutely amazing. When Isaiah tells it, he doesn't even try to describe the majesty and splendor of the God on the throne. He talks about the, the beings worshiping the thing on the throne were so intimidating and overwhelming and powerful that the temple shook. Isaiah experienced personally and firsthand that bigness of God, and it changed the way he, he looked at the world, and it, it, it made God work through him in ways that are really powerful. Today, I'm going to walk you through a... Okay, I'm trying to be calm and cool and collected, but it's like one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. And it's one of my favorite stories because I love it and I hate it. I hate this story. It makes me so angry. Wait till you see what some of these people do. And I'm going to walk you through this story. And the story is going to show you a guy who is in between a rock and a hard place. He has really no visible option politically. And when I say rock in a hard place, I don't mean I'm either going to get my feelings hurt or I'm going to hurt someone else's feelings. I mean, I'm either going to get killed or I'm going to get killed. Rock, hard place. It's a pretty dramatic situation. And then we're going to see that God has an entirely different perspective of that situation and that he is 100% in control. And that he's merciful enough even to let that man know what the plan is. And then we're going to see what God's response is. So if you guys are reading along with me, if not, it's okay, I'll read it to you. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 7. And I'm going to read quite a bit. And I'll explain as we go. So when Ahaz, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah... Okay, so Uzziah's the guy we read about a minute ago. So this is one of his sons, his grandson, whatever, is now on the throne. Was king of Judah, king Rezin of Aram, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel. Anyone lost? (laughs) I remember reading this text forever and just being like, we just had this gorgeous throne room experience. Who are these dudes? And why? What are they doing in this story? Um, Let me help you real quickly. Um, Israel and Judah have divided. They're like this. Judah's on the bottom, because that's the south. I'm really bad with north and south. I'm I'm just going to look to that row. And Israel's in the north. And there's another nation right up here called Aram. And the whole text, we don't, need, we don't need the map, we're good. The whole text is just saying, hey, there's all these characters involved, and they're your neighbors. So picture this like, okay, you're in Portland, and there's Washington, and there's, I know we're going down, California, that's as far as I'm going to risk because I grew up in the East Coast, and that's all the geography I know. But they're right next to us, and they have a capital city, and within that capital city is a ruling in our case, it wouldn't be a king. But in here, it's a king. Okay? So these are, these are the characters. 
Um, they march out to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. So these are all our neighbors, and they're coming to attack us. Got it? Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest were shaken by the wind. If all you get out of that is he's very, 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 very scared, that's good. I'll explain it more in a second. God hears that he's scared. That's not in the text, but it is implied. And the Lord said to Isaiah, go out. You and your son Shir Yashub to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washer's field. Say to him, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Don't lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Remaliah, Aram Ephraim and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabil king over it. Okay, what in the world is going on? Did you guys piece any of that together? If you did, you can come up here and help me. I'm kidding. You can't. Um, <clears throat> and I have it figured out by now. Okay, so... Uh, if you want, go ahead and put the map slide up. I'm going to try not to rely on it too heavily. Um, I can be a little bit of a geek and not really good with maps. And look at me, I'm a geek. <laughs> uh, I'm not really good with maps and right and left and wrong and history and stuff like that and politics, but they still fascinate me. So let me break it down for you. We have Judah, good guys. God loves Judah. Judah doesn't always love God, but God loves Judah. And there's a king, and his name is Ahaz. And there's this other nation that we haven't even seen in the text, so you're not supposed to know about this yet, so don't panic. And it's called Assyria. And we know from other portions of scripture and from history that this is what's going on. Assyria is going to be, see those rivers up in the top corner? Assyria is going to be past those Seems like big and far away and not really a concern, but Assyria is shaking the world. It is becoming a major world power, and it's changing the way people do military strategy. So instead of having little skirmishes over borders and trying to expand your land, Assyria is going to build an empire. And they're big, and they're strong, and they're mighty, and they're fierce, and they're willing to do what it takes to win. So guess what? They're winning. They will go into a land and conquer it. And there are images in the Bible. I don't, I've said some things earlier in the pulpit, and I, I just don't even feel comfortable sharing. They are brutal to the people. The other thing they do is they take all the people out of the land and send them back home and put their own people in. So no one's going to rise up and... Um, try and retaliate or get their land back. So Assyria is big and scary, and it is coming. Got it? Bad guys. In fact, if those, did some of you remember uh, who ends up conquering Israel? Anyone? It's Assyria. Yeah. So the threat is real. In the meantime, Judah and Israel and this place called Syria or Aram that's in the text and these other little places, Moab and Philistia and all these little places around are saying, uh, alone, we're nothing. 
Uh, I used the illustration, it seems lame to me, but I'm not great with numbers and size. And imagine if for some reason, the entire United States rose up and all joined forces and they were all gonna come, not just like a representative army, but they were gonna come and they were gonna take down Portland because they're just tired of our recycling. Okay, and we're in Portland, and there's nothing, I mean, we're not going to make it. We're not going to win. But you kind of want a fighting chance, so you go over and you gather up your other Oregonian cities. If I name them, you'll know I'm from Washington, so don't listen to those. But you're going to go get all the other cities in Oregon, Oregon and say, stand with me, stand with me. We don't stand a chance, stand with me. That's what these kings are doing to Ahaz. All the little kings around, they don't stand a chance, but they're saying, look, we have got to unite. If we don't, we're sitting ducks. And Ahaz is looking at him going, we're sitting ducks anyway. It's just going to be worse. And so do you see how he's stuck between a rock and a hard place? He either gets destroyed by Assyria or... And by the way, that that destruction will be worse if he resists and puts up a fight. Or he can resist and put up a fight. He's still going to get killed. I said this so poorly. Hold on. Rock, hard place. Ready? Either he joins forces with everyone around him who wants to stand up and fight. Or they kill him. Got it? Or... He stands on his own and doesn't join forces with them. And he stands no chance against the evading enemy. Death or death. Got the picture? All right. Now, we already read this. We read what God's response is. We just haven't heard his words yet. He goes in and he says through Isaiah, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You're like, don't be afraid. Are you not watching? Do you not understand what's going on? I mean, there are situations in my life where I get really afraid. And you can back up and go, really, it's not that terrifying. You're going to be okay. You're going to make it through. This one isn't one of those situations. If you're paying attention, he has every right to be afraid. But God's looking at it from a very different perspective. He is above all of this. And he says, Wait, there's two little kings who are threatening to kill you. They're people. I'm God. He calls them smoldering stumps. You know why the image of a smoldering stump is so effective? Because it's not. (laughs) It doesn't do anything. It's just fizzling out and dying. He says, why are you afraid of them? You have me. I'm going to keep reading. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. You're afraid you're going to die. Not going to happen. It will not happen. For the head of Aram, that's the nation, is Damascus, that's the capital. And the head of Damascus is only resin. He's a dude. Within 65 years, Ephraim, code word for Israel, will be too shattered to be a people. The nation that's 
scariest to you right now isn't even going to exist in another generation. It's gone. The head of Ephraim, Israel, is Samaria. So it's capital. And the head of Samaria is just Remaliah's son. They make him sound like a boy. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign. How sweet. I'm sorry, if I were Ahaz, I mean, I can relate way too well to Ahaz. If I were God, see the Freudians live there. If I were God and I heard Ahaz is scared because he forgot this whole thing you promised since like the beginning of Genesis. And I would go down and I'd do one of those like, Agent Gibbs smacks to the back of the head. Ahaz, I, I, I've told you since Genesis what's going to happen. I have this. And he doesn't. He goes down and says, hey, I hear you're afraid. I hear you're afraid. It's not going to happen. And, and I know you're struggling even to hear that. Like, it's not going to happen. Do you hear the string that's attached? Nope. No string attached. It's not going to happen. And he says, go ahead, ask me for a sign. Like, let me prove it to you. Whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. That was hypospiritual mumbo jumbo in its finest. We know that. I'm not making it up. We know that. Because Isaiah is like, oh, give me a break. Actually, he says, is it not enough that you exasperate man? Yeah. Ahaz is having nothing to do with this. Nothing to do with this. In fact, here's what Ahaz does. And we don't know this from here. We know, this, is, this is the part of the story I, I love to hate. I hate this part of the story. And it's in Kings and Chronicles. You know what Ahaz does? When Assyria does march down, like God said, or they knew he was coming, sorry, and stop in Syria, Aram. Oops, sorry, I keep pointing to an invisible map, but we don't need it. And he gets to Aram, and he destroys Aram. He wipes him out, and he stops. It's going to be in about 10 years later that he gets into Israel. But right now, it's just Syria. Because why? Oh, it wasn't going to happen. God said it wasn't going to happen. He's not coming in to get you. You're not going to be supplanted by the other guys. Are you understanding that this is not going to happen? No strings attached. I will try to stop saying it. But this is so frustrating because Ahaz marches up to meet the king of Assyria. Why? I don't know. To earn his favor? Hey, I'm, I can see him like, well, all of these surrounding nations, they were going to try and stand up to you. Isn't that hilarious? I, though, I knew how good you were. And he's not just going to go up there and try and save face. He's going to pillage from the temple of God. Gold, silver, things that the Israelites tithed from the spoils of the wars that God won so that we could, they could worship him. To bring them up and offer them as tribute, asking for protection when they just robbed from the guy, guy, God, who actually protected them. I don't know. It doesn't make you mad. You guys don't look bad. I'm furious. 
And then when he gets there, he sees this defeated kingdom because Syria has fallen. And Assyria is, you know, in its pillaging and sending people away and destroying. And he looks at this altar he sees there. And it's an altar from Syria, the nation that's been destroyed. So it's obviously not like a war trophy. It's, I mean, it's not like, hey, this God's really strong. But Ahaz likes the altar. And so he writes down the dimensions and sends them back. And the high priest in Jerusalem moves the altar that God told them to build, but doesn't destroy it because they might want to use it later. You know, you never know when God comes in handy in your back pocket. And builds a pagan altar in the temple. I would hope that if we so much as took that cross down, there'd be like a revolt. Can you imagine if we demanded some other idol to be put in its place? And this is just a building. We're talking the temple. And we're going to move God aside and build a pagan altar. Are you... Are, Goosebumps, this makes me mad. And this, this is God's response. He says, um, I'm starting at verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether the deepest steps or the highest heights. And Ahaz says, I will not ask. I'll not put the Lord to the test. And then Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child. Heard this one? And will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. This is one of our favorite Old Testament passages. But did you know it was delivered at a time when God's doing everything to bring forth his promised kingdom? And he's operating on a playing field that man doesn't even understand. And we get scared. I mean, I'm not Ahaz, I'm not a king. I've never even had my life threatened. And I get scared sometimes to the point of being paralyzed by fear. And I serve a God who's like, I wrote this since the beginning of time. I move the pieces on the board. Ever played Risk? That's what I see. I see this risk board, but there's only one player, and it's God. And he's like, okay, Ramaliah, you're, kind of, you're, you're stuck in there. Let's take you and put you there. And, and we're down here like, oh, no. God is so big. He's so big. And his plan was established from the beginning at the foundation 
of the earth. And it is not altered. Not even Ahaz, who robbed God to buy safety he didn't need from the very guy who was going to destroy the Israelite people a little bit later and edged out the altar so he could build a prettier one to a God that was dead. And God says, here's my answer, folks. I'm going to show up. Now, here's where I'm supposed to have all these applications. And they're in my head. And they're on my paper. But I don't even know how to move past that. Because I have to stand still for a minute and just be in awe of it. Of the bigness of God. We're going to move in just a minute into communion. I'm going to have the worship team come on up and get us, get them settled and ready. And but this God of the universe, who moves kings and nations like they're pawns on a chessboard, because he determined everything from the beginning of time and says when we're at our lowest of lows, you can trust me. By the way, can I just add one thing? I didn't say this in the first service, and it's been gnawing at me. Yes, we can trust him because Emmanuel is coming. But there's, a, there's like a little bit of a double-edged piece. I mean, he also said in that passage, in 10 years, or I know it's 10 years, he says within 65, I just know history, Israel isn't even going to be strong enough to be a nation. Now in that passage, it's like good news to Ahaz, but I hear that and my heart breaks. Those are God's people. So don't pretend for a minute that I'm promising you that God is promising you everything's okay. God is promising you he's in charge. And when we move in the next couple of weeks back into First Peter, and we're called to live like people who are a part of a different kingdom. Peter read Isaiah. He quotes him. He's like, different kingdom, different planet, different perspective, different worldview. And part of that worldview is the invitation to relationship with him. Because in that plan... He answers our sin with mercy. And as you come to the communion table today, I invite you to reflect on what that mercy ultimately looked like when Emmanuel did come. That he died for our sins and rose again. And that it was part of his plan from the beginning. And in that plan is you. I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for revealing your greatness and your bigness and your majesty. Thank you for your patience with our smallness, with our fears, with our lack of comprehension of even what your plan is. Lord, help us to trust you. 
Help us to see you for who you are. If we don't know you yet, Lord, would you reveal yourself to us? And for those of us in this room who have experienced that already, may we remember the depth of your love for us as we partake in communion with your death, burial, and resurrection. Amen.